Hello and welcome to the Free Gift Podcast, originating from the Free Gift Gospel Mission. The Free Gift Gospel Mission is an independent Bible-believing church preaching Jesus Christ as man's only provision for redemption and salvation. We are located at 1025 Maple Street in Kingsport, Tennessee, on the corner of Maple and Brook. This podcast is a Christ-centered ministry reaching out to souls with the love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Free Gift Podcast. This is Pastor Vern once again, and I've had an interesting few days. I've been getting quite a bit of trolling activity on my podcast as well as on the church website. Someone's been sending voice messages as well as written messages trying to attack the Bible. I've gotten about 10 voicemail messages of someone playing Dan Barker clips and Richard Dawkins clips about slavery and some other things, and I really have reason to believe it's all coming from the same source. I could be wrong, but I do believe that this is probably an individual who isn't exactly seeking truth and he's not actually in the valley of decision but maybe just wants to stir up something from from behind a phone or a computer screen. Um, I mean, I only gave out four Bibles over two days in Jonesboro, and one of them was to a young lady, and one was to a teenage male in a sports car, and that only leaves two other possible people, and I remember both. And it's not difficult to narrow down, uh, but this particular gentleman apparently didn't want to have a face-to-face discussion about any of this, and honestly, I tend to lose... Uh, interest pretty quick when it comes to folks wanting to banner back and forth online, but uh, here's the question. Hi, I'm the man you gave a Bible to in Jonesboro yesterday, and I was wondering why Lloyd offers his two two virgin daughters to a a angry mob for. Can you get back with me? I'm going to go ahead and respond to this question. Just in case I'm wrong about the intentions of the man, it certainly doesn't appear that I would be wrong, but nonetheless, let's talk about Genesis 19 and verse number 8, because maybe some of you who are listening have had questions about this, or maybe you'll soon be entering college or be in an atmosphere where things like this are presented as attacks on the Bible and attacks on God. And you need to be ready so you won't be one of those who are swept away and jolted by things that are merely surface level. And that's what this is. This is is a surface level attack on the authority of Scripture, and it's a surface level attack on God. So uh, let's look at this. What we have in Genesis 19 and 8 could be the most startling and disgusting account in the pages of Holy Writ, which is precisely why skeptics and unbelievers are so quick to refer to it, because when they can uh, can appeal to the flames of emotion, then they have a shot at shutting down critical thinking. And, uh, you know, they've been successful. You've got to give them credit for that. They've been very successful. But personally speaking, this story has never jolted my faith or caused me to question or doubt the existence of God or the truthfulness of the Bible. It just hasn't. There's no reason it should when it's dealt with honestly. But that hasn't been the case for everyone. There have been people who have departed from the faith over things like this. 
Someone mentioned something about Lot offering up his virgin daughters to a lustful mob as if that somehow means that the Bible is false or God doesn't exist. And because they don't know how to explain it or to deal with it, they let that be a seed of doubt, which leads to more problems. And that's exactly what the God-haters are hoping for. That's why they do what they do. So let's just take a look at Genesis 19 and verse 8. Here's what it says. Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. That's Genesis 19 and 8. Now, if all we have to go on is this one verse, we'll not have much of a context. But thankfully, we can go back and read a bit further and find out the proper context. So let's, let's do that. Let's go back and look at chapter 18. And just to give you a, a little rundown of some of the things that transpire in chapter 18, uh, the Lord speaks, and he's talking about the grievous sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham asked God, will you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? We're just paraphrasing. He says, if there are 50 righteous people there, would you not spare it for their sake? And God said he'd spare it for the sake of the 50 righteous. Then Abraham drops it down to 45. And God said he'd spare it for the sake of the 45 righteous. And they get all the way down to 10 righteous people. And God said that if there be found 10 righteous people, he said, I'll spare it for the sake of the 10. So then we come to the opening uh, verses of chapter 19, and chapter 19 really begins to show us more about how the descendants of Abraham have rapidly deteriorated. And uh, this chapter flows right in line with chapter 18. It's building on that same context. God is about to enact a, a great overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Bible does not leave out the gruesome details. In fact, Martin Luther made the comment that uh, he couldn't even read chapter 19 in Genesis without experiencing a feeling of deep revulsion. So the contents of this chapter are nothing new. Skeptics and unbelievers seem to be under the assumption that no Christian has ever addressed this matter in a meaningful fashion, even though it's been addressed repeatedly for a very, very long time. But hey, as long as they can isolate scripture and spring surface level arguments that cause those who are not rooted in their faith to doubt, then they have no reason to change their tactics. So in verse number one, we see two angels come. They first appeared in chapter 18 as men, but now it's revealed clearly that these are angels. We're, we're talking about angels. So Lot sees these angels coming. Uh, he rises up to meet them. He, he sees them as men. Uh, he's wanting to show them hospitality, and this showing of hospitality is a much more serious event than we realize when we think in terms of our society and our culture and uh, this 2021 westernized mindset. Hospitality was a sacred duty. Remember that. In fact, let me just cite Dr. Weston Fields here on this matter of hospitality, Weston uh, Fields is an expert in Semitic languages. He lived in Israel a number of years ago uh, and is also well known for his knowledge of the Dead Sea Scrolls. This is what he had to say about hospitality. He said, and I quote, 
The social obligation of hospitality, so important to travelers in a society where public sleeping and eating accommodations were not readily available, is well known and has been frequently discussed. Not only were public accommodations generally lacking, but the geographical and climatic conditions of many areas made it practically impossible for visitors to try to subsist for any length of time without some form of protection and help, at the very least provision of water and food from the local population. He goes on and he says wild animals and marauders combined with an often hostile physical environment to make survival outside the confines of normal society difficult to say the least. He says this real life societal responsibility to provide lodging and sustenance for travelers, in fact to turn strangers into guests, was so important that whenever visitors appear in a story, the narrator will often give an account, sometimes in detail, sometimes briefly, of their treatment at the hands of their host. Guests are scarcely mentioned in the Bible without concomitant rehearsal and delineation of the nature and quality of the hospitality they receive. End quote. So hospitality was a great big deal more so than we realize today. The fact is, strangers coming into a city were not quite as common in the days of Genesis chapter 19 as it is for us today. So Lot graciously and humbly invites the strangers into his own home. He's very adamant in his invitation. He's very persistent. And at first they say, no, we're just going to abide in the street all night, meaning that they're going to go down to the town square and sleep there. But Lot continued to persist, so they agreed to enter his home where he prepared a feast and they all ate. This is sincere hospitality on the part of Lot. For Lot, showing hospitality is a major deal for several reasons, including the fact that he knows the danger and the threats that come from just being in Sodom and Gomorrah. And all of that is no doubt pressing heavily upon his mind. And it's not without warrant because the news that strangers were inside the city spread like wildfire. And before the night was through, the men of Sodom are so eager to exercise their ungodly lust upon these two angels, uh, angels that they think are men, that they show up at Lot's house. And they show up with the intent of sexually abusing the visitors and fulfilling all of their homosexual lust. And they are completely consumed with these raging, perverted, and unnatural lust from the young to the old. Their, behave, uh, their behavior is not ambiguous. It's, it's blatant. And we're not left to wonder about the social norms. We're not left to wonder about laws that are being broken. There's nothing subtle about what's taking place here. And it's odd to consider, but the truth of the matter <laughs> remains. And there's nothing about any of this that would make anybody want to read this and try to come to their defense or to make excuses for them. Lot's very concerned about the sacred duty of hospitality. He understands the wickedness that's prevalent in Sodom and Gomorrah, that being homosexual activity. And he understands the fact that the men of Sodom were so eager to perpetrate their lustful degradation upon these strangers he understands that that could result in death 
What this is, is human depravity unleashed. That's what Lot is dealing with here. This is human depravity going off the chart of anything that any of us probably have ever seen in our lifetimes. But hey, it seems to be moving back in that direction here in 2021. But nonetheless, this is what Lot's dealing with here. And the King James puts it very delicately when it cites these men as saying, Bring them out unto us that we may know them. What they're doing is shouting their perverted desires in the streets. That's what's taking place. And as we move along in the narrative, Lot shows a great deal of courage in trying to protect his guest because hospitality is a sacred duty as far as, he can, as, far as he's concerned. So he goes out to speak to the mob and closes the door behind him. How many of us would do that? That takes courage. So with his courage intact, he begs the mob not to act so wickedly. So that brings us to the verse in question, verse number 8. Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. There are some scholars and some commentators such as John Walton who have suggested that Lot may not actually be offering up his daughters to be gang-raped and murdered here, but that his words here would be like sarcastically saying to your mortgage company something like, oh, so you want to take my house? Why don't you just go ahead and take the clothes off my children's backs, go ahead and take the food right off their plate while you're at it? To say something like that sarcastically is not actually suggesting that it be done. That it be done. If that be the case, then this would have been a, a, an attempt by Lot to play on the conscience of this mob, to try to make them realize that just as they shouldn't treat the daughters of a fellow citizen in such a fashion, those same inhibitions should protect the guest inside of his home also. Now, I'm not going with Mr. Walton's interpretation here. I'm just simply pre presenting that some have argued that such an interpretation is possible. What we do know is that Lot is operating under immense pressure, enormous pressure, pressure that we have never known. The kind of immense pressure that would make one confused, to say the least. It's under this pressure, and in a certain state of less than clear thinking, and that's a vast understatement, Lot makes an attempt to use sin to avoid sin. Lot was molded in a time when hospitality was emphasized and exaggerated far greater than we've ever experienced. But had we been raised and molded in the time and background of Lot, we might understand how a father could make such a sacrifice given this immense and enormous thought-altering pressure that Lot's under right here. But we just can't seem to place ourselves in Lot's position. We can't easily take on Lot's raising and his experiences, so we just default to feeling revolted that a father would consider such a thing. But here's what I believe happened to Lot. And I've certainly not read every scholar and every commentator and what they have to say on Genesis 19.8, but I have read 
numerous writings of solid Christian authors who have addressed this verse of Scripture, and the vast majority of those agree that this was simply a moral lapse on the part of Lot. He was operating under extremely difficult and extremely dangerous circumstances, and he suffered a moral lapse. He knew all about the Sodomites, and it could be that in his mind, given the immense pressure of the moment and the sacredness of hospitality, that he concluded that it might be best to avoid a greater evil by a lesser evil. Now, what do I mean by a greater evil and a lesser evil? We need to address that because probably every last one of us, including myself, would see uh, the greater evil as offering up your daughters to a perverted mob. But Lot's reasoning at the time, given the pressure that he was under, the immense pressure, and given the emphasis on hospitality and the sacredness of it, and his view of God at this point in his life, he could have been reasoning that maybe it was better for this mob to satisfy their perversion by natural acts as opposed, uh, as opposed to grossly unnatural acts. And I seriously doubt that at this particular moment that Lot had mastery of his words and actions. There's really no justification for Lot here. What he should have done was surrendered to no evil at all and just left the results up to God. It was a moral weakness in a moment of sheer and utter desperation and hopelessness. Now, having said all of that, does the fact that the Bible truthfully records a man's moral failure, does that somehow disprove the existence of God? Of course not. That's ridiculous. Does it somehow prove that the Bible is false? Of course not. The Bible records how that David, who's described in one place as a man after God's own heart, how he committed adultery with Bathsheba, had Bathsheba's husband killed, and then lied about it to try to cover it up. The Bible records how that Moses murdered an Egyptian and hid his body in the sand and then fled. The Bible even records how that the apostle Peter denied Jesus Christ three times with cursing in his mouth. These are all men who had some type of moral failure. But none of that disproves the Bible, and it certainly does nothing to disprove the existence of God. And again, that seems to me to be the angle that this questioner was coming at, because the same person had also sent me numerous other voice messages attacking the Bible about slavery, and I'll address that when I get time. He sent some clips of Dan Barker, a well-known atheist with surface-level arguments that have been refuted so many times it'll make your head spin. He also sent me one uh, voice clip of somebody that I believe to be Richard Dawkins talking his usual nonsense. Uh, but friends, yeah, none of this disproves the Bible. None of this disproves the existence of God in any way. Just because the Bible des uh, describes and records someone's moral failure. We could rest assured, based on the, the uh, internal consistency, the self-attesting nature, the self-authoritative nature of God's revelation, that the Bible is reliable and we can be certain of the existence of God. God's revealed himself. He's revealed himself through his creation. He's revealed himself in his 
special revelation. And to deny that is to do exactly what Romans chapter 1 says, and that's to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Pray that this has been helpful. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Free Gift Podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit us online at www.freegiftgospelmission.wordpress.com. Our service times are as follows. Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m. Morning worship is at 11 a.m. Sunday evening at 6 p.m. And Wednesday night at 7 p.m. We are located at 1025 Maple Street in Kingsport, Tennessee, and we welcome all visitors. If you would like to correspond via email, you may email me, Pastor Vern Hall, at freegiftgospelmission at yahoo.com, or you may write to Pastor Vern Hall, 3301 Martin Farm Road, Johnson City, Tennessee, 37601. We look forward to seeing you at the Free Gift Gospel Mission, where the gospel is preached and the Lord Jesus Christ is praised. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.